0: Thank you, my girl. So uh, we had some printer issues this morning. That's why we're all working off our phones, and that's why things might not be as smooth, since we're always smooth and, like, well, well-oiled, well you know, performance up here. Uh, but uh, the grace of God, right? Amen. And God is most present in our weaknesses and shortcomings uh, to his glory. Uh, there's two images uh, oh, two memories and two images in scripture that stick out to me. And I'll start with the script, scriptural uh, images. And that's um, the one with Moses coming down after he's received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai from God. And he's coming to deliver these commandments to the people. And he's he comes down and his face is glowing. It's shining, right? Uh, because uh, he's in, he's been in the presence of the glory of God. And glory uh, in the scriptural context means the presence of God. right? God's glory, God's presence has basically been smeared onto Moses and he's glowing. And the people behold him and they see that his skin is shining and they kind of feel fear, they tremble. And so what Moses starts to do is he puts a veil on. Right over his face, so that they won't freak out too much. And it says in the scripture that every time, and this is Exodus 34, every time that he goes in to receive instructions from God, he takes off the veil, is in God's presence, and it's like almost like re energized. The glow gets re energized, like a glow in the dark stick, right? He goes into the light, gets energized, and it glows in the dark, right? Uh, uh, Moses goes to God in his presence, in his glory, begins to shine with God's glory, but then when he comes out to convey the instructions to the people, once again, he places a veil over it, just because they're afraid, they can't deal with it, whatever, and uh, the second image in scripture that sticks out to me um, is, do you remember when David is traveling with the Ark of the Covenant, right, and a priest, God's instruction to the priests were, don't lay a hand on the ark of the covenant and so they're parading down and the cart kind of stumbles on some bumps on some potholes we know that in the seattle area right potholes and he reaches the priest reaches his hand out to steady the ark and god strikes him down right and david is so upset with that i think he's upset because god why did you do this this seems like a really like you know, a technicality you seem really strict, right, to to send down this punishment for just merely touching the ark. And, and then a few chapters after that, we see David entering into the town, the city, with the ark. And he's dancing and leaping and jumping. Right, we get that song, When the spirit of the Lord is on my heart, I will dance like David danced. That's the song comes from that scripture of, David dancing and free freely. So the contrast of those two images, one of I need to be so careful because of the holiness of God. He's untouchable or God's presence is so full of glory. We can't even look on it. We can't even see it like this reverence. Right. And two memories for me is growing up a pastor's kid in a church like, I remember having to dress up straight, sit up straight, right, hard pews that always smelled, like, really strange, and, you know, men, uh, uh, singing hymns really low, right, and, like, like, really weird, but, um, being on my best behavior, and I remember, and I've told this story before, sitting in the back with my brother, and we are like, playing tic-tac-toe, or, like, whatever, to, you know, keep our hangman, to keep ourselves, like, going, and, uh, then he, uh, uh, and we're laughing back there, and my, I remember my dad stopping in the middle of a sermon and saying, David! All right? I'm like, oh, right? He stopped his sermon midway and, like, called me out, and, you know, right after church, I knew I wasn't going to get it, and I totally got it. And, you know, <laughs> back then, like, I was rubbing my butt, right? Back then, it was more socially acceptable. Um, but, uh, and the other image is of my mother. Uh, there were times where we'd be out in public, like in a McDonald's or a restaurant, and I'd be talking freely, like talking about my day at school or making comments or telling jokes with my brother. And she'd be like, "Shh, be quiet. Not so loud." I'm like, "What? What? Other people will hear. It. The Americans will hear. It. You know, white people will hear." It. I'm like, "So? Right? But they'll, you know, they'll judge us or they'll think." This or that, and it was really weird because on the one hand, i I was Korean and growing up Korean, right, it was different. And on the other hand, though my mother wasn't wasn't born in the States like me, she was more Korean, I had you know this American identity. But I grew up with the sense that, oh, there's something different about us. That in one way I need to watch what I say or be careful how I act or not live out loud so much because in some way I we are less than what is american right and so there's this carefulness but the irony is have you ever been to an outdoor worship service korean worship service like Right? They go to the park and they sing. I'm like, whatever happened to, like, the Americans are watching, right? they're, like, singing their Korean hymns out loud. And people at the park are like, what are they doing? I'm like, cooking our meat and our kimchi and all these odors. It doesn't matter. We're living out loud. I'm like, what about what you just said to me? Right? And I'd be so embarrassed when my dad would... Stand up in the middle of a restaurant and like, pray, let's pray for the meal. And it'd be like, everyone in the restaurant would hear him pray. Like, oh my gosh. Right? Whatever happened to being careful. But this kind of, this kind of fear. And I see this in the people of God when they behold God's glory in the face of Moses is this kind of. On the one hand, it's good. It's something that our culture or in the West, we can learn a little bit more of about reverence right, coming before the presence of God, and, you know, there's something in us that are like, oh, we're carrying our Starbucks cups into the sanctuary, like, a part of it is like, freedom, yes, you know, we're being contextual, we're relevant, another part of us is like, oh, can I, like, should I be taking my shoes off, and like, bowing all the way up, (laughs) and like, being reverent, the holiness of God, and kind of fearing that, being fearful of God, and dressing up, right? Maybe I shouldn't wear shirts uh, shorts to church. Maybe I should have a tie, right? And we women should wear hats or whatever it is. There's a piece of us that, you know, kind of leans towards that we need to be reverent. And I think that's what we see um, in the Exodus passages. Um, and that's what I felt growing up, that being in church meant behaving right dressing right speaking right not speaking out not having fun right and maybe that's why this church is shrinking these days it's like oh you can't have fun at church right you got to be like <laughs> right this kind of stiffness and this kind of like somehow you need to be not human when you come to church you not you got to be something other than what you're usually at you know and like this kind of dual life and maybe that's why you know pastors fall a lot of the time and you see all these you know, scandals that happen because there's this projection that we have, this persona that especially leaders in the church have to have because we're up front or we're portraying a righteous, holy life and living a life of holiness. But then we're dealing with the realities of our own shortcomings and our own desires. And we separate our desire from holiness. And that's a bad route, right? It's like, you can't do that because you're like killing your soul. And so there's this double life that happens. And so this reverence. And I think what this is what Paul is saying when he's addressing the church at Corinth. And Paul, you know, he has this long history with the church at Corinth. He started it, and he really cared about it. And so he was constantly visiting the church at Corinth. He was constantly hearing from Timothy and others who were there. Uh, receiving correspondence, how's the church at Corinth doing? How are my peeps doing, right? How are my disciples doing? Are they doing well? Are they not? And he, Paul, in his time, has uh, re- wrote about four letters. People, most people, say four letters in total to the church at Corinth. We know First and Second Corinthians, uh, but in between First and Second Corinthians, there's what's called the harsh letter, right? Because he's heard, he heard of the divisions and the infighting and kind of. Um, bad immorality that was happening in the church uh, and part of 1 Corinthians is uh, addressing that Um, but then he writes the harsh letter like get your act together essentially that's my summary get your act together and he he feels really he was really harsh after his visit to the church at Corinth and I think 2 Corinthians is him kind of taking his foot off the pedal right and kind of conveying the grace of God and you are, um, you are my resume, basically. You are my testimony of the power of my ministry, the power of my, what the Holy Spirit has been doing is written on your hearts and in your lives. And and the reason why Paul is saying this is that he, in the church of Corinth, a lot of false teachers have arisen or other alternate alt-leaders have risen up and they're criticizing Paul, saying, you can't be an apostle of Jesus because you suffer too much. Your life is full of suffering. How could you be filled with the spirit? Right? How how could you? And they're challenging his teaching. They're challenging his character. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians, you'll see it's almost personal. He feels like he needs to defend his ministry. He's like, no, this is good stuff. Right? So when we hit the top of 1 Corinthians 3, that's where he's like, you guys, I don't need a letter of recommendation. I don't need people to look at my resume and say, oh, look at this guy. He has all these letters. He has all this proof of how awesome he is, how good he is at his job, how how amazing he is as a minister. My resume is basically etched on your heart, right? When I see the change that God has done And the Spirit is done in you. The living Spirit in your lives, reflected in your lives, that that defends me. That's my defense. That shows that our ministry hasn't been done in vain and the Spirit is really working. And so you see this turn from the harsh letter to Paul saying, yes, God is at work in changing you. So in our uh, current passage that Magdiel read, he read 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, and I'll just repeat that. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image, into His image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is saying, since Jesus came, everything has changed. Right? It's like David dancing. We can dance in freedom in our worship because Jesus came. And that word veil. What do you where else have you heard that word veil? Like at Jesus' crucifixion, right, on Golgotha, he dies and the temple veil rips apart, right? And it's just like this image of the opening up, right, of the spirit of the Lord bursting out of the wineskins of whatever, whatever kind of worship structures that were the temple system, right? The spirit is bursting out and God is bursting out and saying, access, all of you have access all of you are capable. all of you can come with confidence, right Not fear like two steps bow, three steps bow, four steps bow right Growing up, it was all about in Korean you call it insa right It's how you greet people. And whenever my parents would bring their you know their guests would come, I, he'd always be like he'd yell at me David, insa, right And if I, if I forget so I had to come bow. Right, And it has to be done with reverence or I can't use um, informal language with adults or people older than me. And so it was this whole like growing up like tenseness when people come over because I wasn't good at Korean and I wasn't aware fully of the customs but I knew I had to like demonstrate those customs, right? And so I'm like, I need to be straight, right? And, and still, like when I'm in a grocery store and I bump into the old, oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, right? It's Like, <laughs> what, what did this come from? Like, this self-deprecating reverence. Um, and there's a lot of good in that. But I think God is, or Paul is saying, in the spirit there is freedom since Jesus came. And the comparison he's making is to the image of Moses. He's saying, if Moses even with the deliverance of the law, even if Moses delivered the law, law, which leads to death, displayed God's glory, even though it was fading, he displayed that glory, how much more, right, will the spirit of the Lord in you display glory? And there's a turn. There's kind of a... uh, democratization of the spirit of truth, right? It's not just Moses displaying God's glory because he's the the chosen one that came into his presence. It's all of us, all of you who display God's glory. Isn't that amazing, right? Because I think theologically or mentally we may get that, Our internal theology is kind of messed up, right? We're kind of like, in order to display God's glory, man, I'm too messed up to be a display of God's glory, right? I'm too messed up to even come into God's presence. I said 10 cuss words last week, right? I was impatient when I was driving, right? If that were the case, I shouldn't be up here preaching (laughs) because I'm a road rager, you know, I'm a... Recovering Road Rager, that's not recovering, really, Um, because Seattle drivers are dumb. Um, We think that, you know, if I was a better person, you know, maybe I'd be closer to God, right? Or a lot of us won't come to church when we're going through certain struggles, right? We're in a, a bad relationship or we're just kind of living outside of, you know, kind of how church people are. Then we're like, I'm going to take a break from church. No one wants to see me this way. God doesn't want me to see this way. But the reality is, is that that's when we actually should come to church, because God is calling all of his broken people into his presence to say, my spirit covers you, and we're changing you. I'm changing you, right? And where the spirit of God is, this is what Paul is saying, there is freedom, right? Your soul should dance in this place. You should dance like David danced. Right? He's doing a good work in you. He's transforming you. The transfiguration, which is what this is all, the you know, the display of Moses' glory, of God's glory through Moses' face, and then Jesus and John and, and John, the transfiguration, right? This transformation of their faces, this glowingness. Right? This is happening for each of us when we're in Jesus, when we're in the Spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? (laughs) And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We have unveiled faces. We are the reflection of God's work in the world. We are being changed and transformed over and over, continually, constantly, into the image of God. Like God is at work, in you that's a real powerful dynamic work and oftentimes we what we focus on in ourselves and in other people is what's wrong with me what's wrong with them how do i fall short how are they falling short rather than how is god at work in my life Amen. right How is the spirit working in the lives of people around me, right? How is he at work? When I look at Casey, it's like, wow. Maybe not I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, He's a good sport. Uh, How is God at work, right? God is transforming us, and we need to believe that. Um, Isaiah 25, verse seven, and this kind of reiterates that idea of unveiling. Uh, The prophet Isaiah is talking about on this mountain, I'll start with verse six, on this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the veil that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. You see the beauty of that image? It's like God is preparing a party, a feast, a North Point community bash, right? Out there for all people, for all nations. And there's rich food, right? Everyone's heart food and comfort food. Right, whatever your comfort food is, we all have different cultures, different people, different backgrounds, have our own comfort food, right? Might not make sense to other people, whatever, but we have our comfort foods. Those comfort foods are at this party. Right? And he's inviting everybody to it, to this great banquet. And on this mountain, where this bash is, right? God is gonna take away the veil that covers all people lift up the sheet that covers all people. This image of the Spirit of God just breaking forth, breaking out of limitations and restrictions of the burden of heaviness, whether that's cultural burdens, right? Or the burdens that we place on ourselves that keep us from feeling or experiencing fully the Spirit of God in our lives, or keeps, the church of God from really being a place of welcome, a place of access for people out there who don't know God or who are wanting to know God, and yet there's so many obstacles to the approach. God is saying there's freedom, there's freedom. Um, So uh, the question is, how are you being made new? or how do you want to be made new? That's the question on the chalkboard. And uh, we're gonna take some time to reflect on that. Um, You can write in your journals or a piece of paper or on your wrist, like how are you being made new or how would you like God to make you new? And um, we'll put some music on, do that for five minutes, and then we'll go from there. But let me pray to enter into transition this time. God, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you that uh, you blow us away, that you change our paradigms of what it means to be close to you, what it means to be known by you and to know you. That you are most, you are as familiar as a friend, as a best friend, and yet your glory is so infinite um, that is beyond us. that, that's a mystery that we can't fully understand, and yet, because of your grace and mercy, you, uh, you draw near to us. So I pray that we can be made new um, in you and um, that we can cry out to you in this time in your name.